0: messy situations it's a production of lola media say hi lola
1: i didn't realize the swings in emotion like i realized what was important for me was like i turned to my friends all who are founders and i was like hey this is fucking really really hard and i'm like very very depressed like i don't know i don't is this just me literally no. all of them were and my like, first yeah. response was
2: get used to it for the next five years Hello, I'm Kane Sarhan.
3: And I'm Michelle Promoleko.
2: And this is Messy Situations, the podcast where we break down and break through all of life's messes, starting with ourselves. Your shoulders are on fire today.
3: <laughs> Loves the shoulder pad. What? Wait, is this
2: from one of your hauls? <laughs> well, you just it's, so, it's so
3: funny because Mesh just asked that. This is not from a, my most recent vintage haul, but it's from a past one. Do you like?
2: I'm a very big fan. I remember on your Instagram, on your past <laughs> haul, you were talking about how like the theme was a shoulder pad. I feel like it was a big shoulder That's pad be- haul.
3: I mean, the 80s, which I'm not even sure this is 80s. I think this might be before that. But the 80s were huge with the shoulder pad. So sometimes when I go on an 80s haul, this is what I come back with. Like a linebacker look.
2: And the, <laughs> the haul is also like a return to family, right? Weren't you down, you get to see family while you're I, thrift shopping?
3: I was. I was down in Georgia and then I went to see a friend in Alabama. And actually I had a messy family situation happen.
2: Oh, those are the mm-hmm. messiest, the oh, messy situations. They really are the
3: messiest. So I was going down to Georgia to visit my sister, brother-in-law, and my niece and nephew. My oldest nephew is at college, believe it or not. Oh
2: my, I would never guess looking at you.
3: I know. Thank you, babe. So a year ago was the last time I was down there. And this is messy in and of itself. That's when I went to collect my mom's ashes because she died a year ago. And to go through all the photos and all that stuff because she lived down there for the last 20 years. And while I was there, I mean, tensions were high. I was a mess. I got in a fight with my brother-in-law and my brother-in-law what
2: was it about something stupid well or like... we don't
3: see eye to eye politically and I'll just leave it at that got you can it. guess in there uh-huh. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
3: plus I was distraught I'm going through my mom's things I had just gone through a breakup I was a fucking mess
2: you were a hairpin away from like an explosion
3: I was having a complete meltdown so we get into a conversation that we shouldn't have gotten into we know better we've been there before and I come out of my face
2: I'm sure and by the way you you know as someone who has a lot of relationships in their lives with people that they very very much love and like spending time with and like care about but have very different political like opinions on you learn to like put them aside and allow your relationship like you guys get along besides this like do you yeah, like them otherwise? I mean, we
3: do yeah we do get along this is sort of the one hot button issue and it's obviously an inflamed one so under the circumstances under duress we get in a fight I go from like zero to 60 in two seconds. I cussed at him, which is how they say it down there. Mm. You know, it doesn't take a lot to get me to curse. So (laughs) I'm sure I was like, expletives were flying. And it, you know, kind of boiled over. My sister ends up in the peacekeeper, you know, neutral position trying to get us to get along. And then it just kind of blew over. I left the next day. I thought it blew over. That was a year ago. So I was set to go down to visit them last weekend, and I'm thinking nothing of it. And 48 hours before I go, oh. my sister tells me that my brother-in-law wants an apology. <laughs> and I was like, come again? He wants an apology for a fight we got in 365 days ago when I was at your house there's been collecting. no text there's been Nothing. no call there's been Nothing. no like idea Like I forgot was... the fight happened so when you left did you like hug say goodbye well the like... last time I saw him was actually last June at my mom's memorial so obviously oh you've seen him I saw him once after the fight I hadn't been to Georgia again because the memorial was in New Jersey so I'd seen him since the fight but obviously it was my mom's memorial yeah he wasn't gonna say anything then Then I was distracted with everything else.
2: I want to. Were you going to stay with him? Like I want to apologize before she can stay in my home. Was that that the ultimatum? That was
3: the inference. Oh, right. Oh, oh, Okay. So the inference was essentially I don't know if push comes to shove if he would have banned me from the house. But he clearly wasn't happy that I hadn't apologized for swearing at him in his house no, which question. honestly to me and i know like again he and i have just different perspectives on things i wouldn't really think that hard about somebody like telling me to fuck off but he obviously took it to heart enough to be harboring this for a year which actually the more problematic thing to me is that he harbored it for a year
2: well the fact that he like held on to it and like first off like did you apologize i need to know
3: Yes. Uh, Which, by the way... Which is growth on my part. I just want to say. I just want to say. No, but listen, I think it is. Because, honestly, Kane, normally I'd be like... And I did at first say fuck that. I was under duress. My mother had just died. I was going through hell. I'm not apologizing. But in the end, I haven't seen my family in a year. And he obviously needed me to apologize. It was bothering him for a year. I had let it go a year ago. And so I did something that I rarely do. but by the way I actually we just think suck it up and apologize well, and I think
2: first off I'm proud of you for doing that thank you uh, I'm I'm proud, very of myself. proud of you for doing it and I think it's something that people it's something I've had to learn to do I'm very much like you I very much am like get bent sit and spin go fuck yourself no way but what you realize is like when you think about the fact that it's bothered him for 365 days that it obviously hurt his feelings that you yes. and I use the F word like we kiss our mothers yes. you know what I mean and that for some people language and words can be extremely hurtful and it
3: clearly Really was to him, and I didn't realize want to hurt him. No, I, I love him, he's my brother in law, he's been married to my sister forever. But I just didn't understand why he waited until 48 hours before I was about to arrive to lay this on me, or he didn't, my sister did. And then I just felt kind of backed into a corner, and that I didn't like that, and I also just didn't like that. I felt like there wasn't a real understanding of the conditions under which this argument happened. It was looking bad for a minute, like I was considering not going. Oh, well, I'm glad. And it was you didn't a whole thing. So I'm glad I did too. And actually we ended up having a great time.
2: Yeah. And you know what? This stubbornness actually translates a lot into something that we're gonna talk about today, which is not family related, but an equally can be messy side of life, which is the life of entrepreneurs and the life of building something from scratch and creating something. Something new, And this is a very special episode for us and for me because not only do we have one of my dearest friends as our cleanup crew, our messy subject is actually our producer and the founder of our podcast production company, Lola Media, Mesh, who is a dear friend of both of ours and such a special human and a long time, I would say like entrepreneur, brother in arms of mine, and I'm so excited to get to talk to him about this and sort of talk about it from his perspective and from mine, but also for the world to get to meet Mesh because he sits in the room in the dome with us at the well. Exactly. Every week. Behind the scenes. Snaps photos of us taking selfies. <laughs> Mostly making fun of me, by the way. And he's officially here. But before we kick off with Mesh, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Welcome back. We have maybe the most VIP guest we've ever had. Mostly because Absolutely when the it most comes to VIP podcast guest. world he's he's a bit of our boss. <laughs> uh Michelle aghani it's it's great to have you. It's very weird to talk. Uh, with you guys looking at
1: me, this normally I'm on the sidelines laughing.
3: Yeah, yeah, but when you don't have a mic in your face, you're just jabbering away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, you do have a mic in your face because you're you have your own podcast.
1: Yeah, we we I co-host one show. I host another show. We're launching another show with me. I just like myself on everything. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> really, this was designed for me to
2: listen to myself again. On another show. <laughs> So
1: is...
3: entrepreneurs have egos. Is that a thing?
2: Slight, a slight, bit.
3: tiny little yeah. bit.
2: So you started Lola Media how long ago?
1: So we officially started it back um, 2020. 2020 um, mid pandemic, but, but great right? time, <laughs> great timing. Yeah, I was like, you know, I think it's time to start a podcast. <laughs> um, and it was just one podcast, and then i I didn't know I wanted to start a company to raise money until I really felt like conviction that I could build something bigger and then take people's money and then obviously make money of it. I've always been on the investor side, so I was super paranoid that I wasn't going to do this unless two things one i had something big enough that i thought i could make people money but two that i had conviction not only in myself but to do it for like an extended period of time because i knew i would continue so
3: sustainability was like something that you were like i need to know this is going to have legs or else what or else i'll look bad no it was like
1: otherwise why i'm just one of those people like people can raise money and they do it all the time and you know being on one side of the table but also realizing how hard it is and also realizing you're taking people's money people are taking a chance on you and unless I actually thought that this was something that needed money then to go make other people money, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't raise money. But then the other thing was it had to be something not only that I thought was big, but it had to be something that I personally had conviction in because I knew I needed to spend like this is this is it for me like if i'm going to spend the next 10 20 years of my life i wanted to be doing something one that i really love doing and i care about but i actually really believe that i can do something with
2: and the nuances is that's here and rahaf i'd love for you to jump in rahaf harfouch dear friend digital anthropologist author who has spent her career Researching, writing about, and coaching about entrepreneurs, our hustle culture, and our work culture, and has so much value to add to this conversation we're going to have today that we can't wait for her to join at the end. We have to bring her in early. The big difference between my entrepreneurial journey with the Well is I have two business partners, Sarah and Rebecca. So you have a trifecta that carries a load. Mesh is in fact uh, a solo entrepreneur, which jumping off building, I scary. I wouldn't be here.
0: I mean, I think the interesting thing is, and and we're gonna nerd out about history a little bit, but I think the interesting thing is to look at the entrepreneur as a modern day archetype and as like what an entrepreneur represents in today's society. And when you look at the way we talk about entrepreneurs, they are aspirational figures. They're almost like contemporary mythological figures that we all look up to and aspire. But to your question, what is it about entrepreneurship that makes it so hard for people to admit how messy it is is I think you have to take a look at the part of our culture, which is very deeply entrenched, which says that everybody needs to make it on their own, right? It's this myth of being self-made. And if you are self-made, then you don't need help, you don't need support, you don't have anything that you can't handle because this is supposed to be your vision and you're supposed to have all the answers, even though we all know that that is 100% not true. It is just a cultural belief that is deeply embedded in people, which then makes them strive for a level of perfection because it's not just running a business. It's actually a symbol of not only their capabilities, but of their deservingness of their own success.
2: Oh wow. And 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 I think what's interesting there is this idea of being self-made and and this deservingness of success that you're talking to. And and what prompted this was Mesh and I were having an honest conversation and and just honestly sitting in the steam room at the well and I said, why, when anyone asks me, how's it going with the well? Wow? Fucking great. First thing, great. Crushing it. Awesome. We're growing. It's fantastic. All of the time, which 70% of the time, 60%, I mean, pandemic, who the fuck, you know what I mean? It's, it's true, a lot of the times. But there's never a time where it's, today sucked. Yeah. Shit's going bad. And Mesh and I were talking about there's no, why is that? Right? But that I-
3: just goes back to plain old vulnerability, which as an individual, like when somebody asks you how you're doing, that's what you're inclined to say versus tell the truth. So as an entrepreneur who's trying to launch a business or you know grow a business it's even more vulnerable to say there are some pain points or this is
0: happening I would imagine there's two sociological like there's two things at play here one and I think a lot of people can relate to this there's a sociological phenomena called work devotion whereby we as like a community of people have identified a way to signal to each other that we are deserving and that we are worthy of our success and we do this by telling people not only how hard we're working and how much we're working but how much we are enjoying how hard we're working and how much we're working and so one if this has just become a part of how we communicate to and with each other the other part and maybe you guys can comment on this is that there is this like huge trend of like toxic positivity where you're constantly being told that if things aren't going your way it's because you're not like manifesting hard enough or you don't have the right mindset or you don't have like you end up feeling like you can't share your vulnerabilities because your vulnerabilities are happening because it's your fault not as a natural byproduct of bringing something new to life so
2: let's talk vulnerabilities mess let's share them this because yes. this is a place that's for it talk me through some of these vulnerabilities talk me through like the real feelings of what the actual roller coaster feels like of being an entrepreneur it was one of
1: those things where i'm i'm now discovering this uh, I've, I've gone through it before in like other aspects, but like, this is now starting this company. I'm betting on this. My family's betting on this. People that I care about are betting on this. There's so much responsibility around it. I love it. That's why I'm doing it. But then part of me is also like, oh, things can get tight. Like money can get tight. I got to do a fundraise. The fundraise is not going as well. Oh my God, I'm a fucking failure. And someone asked me like, how's it going? I just want to tell them, I want to fucking blow my brains out right now and quit. But unfortunately I can't. And I feel like a complete loser and this is what just happened. Yesterday, I thought I was the fucking man and I was going to smash it. And I looked at everyone that they were like beneath me. And, uh, <laughs> and then today I'm sitting there just like curled up in a ball being like, wow, I'm such a disappointment to myself. Like the, the extremes. Day to day, those just, extremes. Like, no, it, but it's it, true. it all happened in a week. It oh. all happened in a week. And I couldn't get out of it. After that, I was like, oh, my God, you're a fucking loser. Like, that's it.
2: No, but it's and this is the thing is it's such a real time roller coaster. And the thing is, is it could be something wrong with teammates. It could be a deal that doesn't go through. It could be a fundraiser that's not happening. There's so much ambiguity and there's so much. No matter how well you plan, no matter how well you budget, no matter what you think is going to happen, there's so many unknowns when you're building something new. For me,
1: I didn't realize
2: the swings
1: in emotion. Like I realized what was important for me was like I turned to my friends, all who are founders, and I was like, "Hey, this is fucking really, really hard," and I'm like very, very depressed. Like I don't know, I don't. Is this just me? Literally, no. all of them were my like My first yeah.
2: response was get used to it for the next
1: five years. That's I'm exactly sure what there's three like, other there's friends.
3: Probably told me. many universals admitting it's not going well. feels like you're inching towards admitting failure, right? And some businesses do fail. And so there has to be a certain degree of obviously acceptance of the failure rate, both personally and as a community of entrepreneurs. But the one thing I will say also is that every entrepreneur that I've ever met and I've met a lot of them has pivoted the business. It's almost never what they conceive or at least it doesn't, it's not identical to what they conceive by the time they're kind of off and running.
1: For sure. I mean, I think in the last, so there was a tended period. I was like feeling pretty good about stuff. Then I was like, okay, I have to go out for a fundraise. Running low on cash because I underestimated time and you don't want to do that.
2: Which by the way, everyone does. Right, this is what I was everyone also Everyone does.
1: Totally just, I was like, hey, you know what? This will be, you know, fine. Uh, I'll be fine. And then we started the initial pitch and the pitch just wasn't being received well. Um, because at the end of the day like media companies are not seen as the big companies that they used to be seen given all the stuff that's Michelle happening. Michelle knows that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Michelle I'm, I'm over here
3: nodding <laughs> having come from traditional publishing world, but this is not traditional right. publishing world. Well, this is progressive. And, and what's no. funny was
1: it was never meant to be traditional media. Like the podcasts are all part of something that's bigger. I wasn't ready to pitch the bigger part yet. And it became basically like, listen, you better pitch the bigger part and figure it out because no one's going for this right now and then I was like okay um, well and and like before I could even figure out like I knew what the bigger part was I just went into like oh my god I'm a fucking I'm a a failure and then I had to go on this trip and I was just like stuck away from my computer and everything and it was just like soaking in and I was like okay I'm gonna tell everybody that you know we're running low on cash but it's not that cash is gone I just have to now be I have to make decisions harder decisions and the time it gave me was like okay it's not it's like a pivot but it's basically a pivot to fast forward with the bigger idea and then two, get your shop in order right we still have money we don't need to run out of it we just have to pull back on things that need to be pulled back Well, I,
3: I it sounds like it makes you really focused and when you start running out of money you have to get focused and disciplined but, and,
2: and this is the thing there are two things i want to talk about here because you went on this trip yeah and i felt you, guilty by and, and by the way you felt guilty the whole time you're on the fucking trip you had two or three people judging you being like hey you're on this trip when I know, and I think Rahaf will tell us, and and is the fucking expert, that that trip might have been the most important and beneficial thing you could have done. Right, Fush?
0: Yeah, I mean, we have developed over the course of how we've started to measure performance, especially for entrepreneurs, this idea that you have to be actively doing something all the time. And that that output has to be productive and it has to be visible. So you have to be on calls, you have to be in meetings, you have to be visibly doing stuff in documents and physically creating spreadsheets and doing all of these things. When in actuality, one of the biggest parts, and I think the biggest job that an entrepreneur has, and not just an entrepreneur, but like a leader in general, is to pause and to think how are you going to identify new market opportunities? How are you going to make hard decisions about money? How are you going to figure out what the next steps are? If you're so busy running from to do to to do to to do or running from calendar to calendar to calendar invite, you're just not, you're actually compromising yourself because you don't even see that that's a part of the process. What I think is really interesting is you need to look at entrepreneurship, I think is a really good example of how our society deals with self-worth. Because From like a cultural perspective, if you think of being an entrepreneur, what are you doing? It's like really personal, right? It's like your idea. You have a vision for something. It's super personal. So of course, you're going to feel very protective of that idea. And we have been trained that if you think the idea is important, you have to pursue it nonstop. And so we have actually been trained to devalue the very activities that would give us the clarity, the focus, the direction, and the breathing room that we need to make it the best that it possibly can be. So we have a system put in place place that encourages you to like shoot yourself in the foot and it's easier and people would reward mesh like mesh you probably would have gotten more rewards from your friends socially if you had posted that you didn't take that trip and that you had worked really hard and you know you were like pulling late nights to find the answer when in actuality from a neuroscience perspective you taking a step away you taking a trip you giving yourself time to think probably was the most important thing that you could have been doing for your business at that point in time
1: yeah i i I totally agree with you um and i appreciate you saying that because it was that moment i'm like i'm in the country of scotland i'm with one of my best friends bachelor parties who when i thought about it like these are people that not only are, are also investors but like have been there in the hardest moments of my life it was amazing and it was like we were 15 people who were incredible and like there were moments on it where i was sitting there and like i didn't even say anything i was i was the one who was driving there was like four cars and i was one of the drivers and uh Um, not because I'm brown, but it was because I had, (laughs) (laughs) because I had the license. Um, but someone said, Hey, have you listened to Mesh's podcast founder stories? And I was like, Oh, I didn't even know you knew about that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, you got to listen to it. And it's like, it was nice. Like I didn't have to bring it up. And then they all wanted to listen to it. And then they all wrote reviews in the car. And it was like, it was a nice moment. And being there for Wait, friends. Wait, they knew
0: you were mesh though. Of course. <laughs> it wasn't just like another brown guy podcast.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I was taking credit for someone else's podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was so happy to be on that trip and be present. And it did give me a lot of time. It gave me a lot of time to think. And it, it made me realize I'm now on this flight back, back to New York. And it was one of those moments where it was very much fake it till you make it. Type vibe I have a coach class ticket I'm the last row in the back and I had an Am- old Amex platinum card that I don't use anymore and it gave me access to the Centurion Lounge and I'm sitting in there and I'm sitting there I'm like I'm not supposed to be in here right now I <laughs> I still have like debt. Looks this are deceiving. You are like, and James it was
3: what like, like, the, <laughs> the people in the lounge see you on the plane. You are like, Listen, in the Let bathroom. me tell you, as
2: an entrepreneur who travels twenty days a month, the best four hundred and ninety-five dollars I spend a year is on that Amex with that Centurion Lounge access for Wi-Fi and snacks and free booze. I mean, amazing. the amount of money it saves me it's just amazing. off the free booze. Oh my god. Um so but it was that feeling
1: of like I go in and I'm like, "Oh man, there was a time where I had something like this and now I'm like, I'm trying to take this business to the next level." I can't, it's hard for me to stay on here cuz you guys are a podcast on at you know part of this media company
2: mash i'm saying the same thing you. you're, invest- in you. <laughs> you're an investor you're an investor in the fucking world i know you know, I know, know what i mean i mean like but that's our level of relationship but, you know what and
1: mean? then and then to go from like that lounge and i'm like and then you keep walking you keep walking you keep walking you keep walking last fucking row you sit down and you're like all right and then i'm basically got seven hours to think about what's my move monday's coming i need to have a move for monday
3: It's just about, it's like a larger metaphor for the transition in your career. Totally. You know, we all have been in places where we've been super successful in one area, and then we've kind of pivoted to something else. And those transitions can be really uncomfortable. So how do we begin to unwind from this unbelievable amount of pressure to be presenting a successful or that you've got the big idea all wrapped up? How
0: do we start unwinding from that so that everybody can benefit from it? The real conversation is when you do talk about a lot of entrepreneurship, when you do talk about startups, when you do talk about new businesses, everyone cares about two things. What's your valuation? (laughs) What's your revenue? And I remember reading a couple of days ago, an entrepreneur, he was the one he made the, I don't remember what it's called. It was like where you can sell directly off of a social network, gumshoe, gum, Gumroad? Gumroad? gumroad, gumroad, gumroad. Yes. Sorry, gumshoe. What am I talking about? Gumroad. And he has an amazing post on LinkedIn about how he started building this business and he got obsessed with this idea of building a billion dollar business to the point that he was so obsessed with that arbitrary metric that he risked his team and his decision making and his funding and his health because he thought it was just so important and anything less than a billion dollar valuation he considered to be an abject failure. So like start looking at also you're all driven people. There's a profile of personality that goes after this entrepreneurship path. What are you measuring for your business? What are you measuring for yourself? What standards of success are you setting for yourself? And how are you being motivated by external sources of validation? If the day that you get a deal in, you're up and the day that you don't get a deal in, you're down. And if you're constantly sort of on the cycle of looking outwards to investors, to the market, to deal flow as the judge of whether or not you are a good person and you are worthy, that's where the conversation really needs to start. Because oftentimes we think, oh, it's professional, it's business. But let me tell you something like, Business is super personal and we're not talking about when people say I'm a good entrepreneur, they're not saying I'm good at business. When people say I'm a good entrepreneur, they're actually saying I'm enough, I'm important, I deserve my success, I deserve to be loved, I deserve to be seen, and I deserve to be recognized. That's when they are saying. So when you're asking them to admit vulnerabilities, in many cases, if they have not been raised or if they're not if they're not used to having a network where they can talk about that in a place of support, what you're asking them to do is essentially wound themselves by showing you the core misalignments that every single person has which is feeling like they're not enough and they're not doing it
2: jesus fish.
1: like if people only knew that i'm doing all this to just tell my eighth grade english teacher to go and fuck himself for telling him <laughs> me just one thing that has stuck with me since then i'm not even joking it all comes from that a lot, wound. A lot it of all it comes, comes from, from that right wound and, and i look. Like, i
2: and i agree with rahaf
3: I what's
1: think-
2: that english teacher's name you know, all right. Well, don't f- do fuck it. Fuck him. Don't. <laughs> don't. Listen. Don't you know do me, it. my friends, my people. Fuck you, eighth grade English teacher. But but
3: that point about the network that really stuck out to me. So would you say it's important for anybody who because there's tons of entrepreneur networks or you know communities. But would you say one piece of advice would be to have a small group of entrepreneurs that you trust and you can be vulnerable Twinsies. with?
2: Twinsies. Oh my God, this is something Rahaf and I have had for seven or eight years. Me, her, and four other entrepreneur friends, we have met up multiple times a year for almost a decade now, and there's constant communication in between, and, and it's ebbed and flowed. There's times when we're talking constantly, there's times when everyone grows. Some people have had kids, some haven't. We've moved all around the world. But it's been this constant place of like when shit's hitting the fan, when life is going bad. I mean, this was the group that when I was young and sick and not taking care of myself, had an intervention with me and literally sat me down in a restaurant in Woodstock, New York. Um, <laughs> we can't enter the restaurant anymore because I flipped the table telling them all to go fuck themselves. Oh my God. I wasn't going to listen to them. We'll have and, to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. I wish and, I had and, my mic on that one. And had had have since grown and learned that these people were taking care of me and helping me and I wouldn't be maybe alive if it wasn't for them now. But for me, that has been something that's been super helpful and super important. But Mesh, I'd love to hear you were just sharing with me where you're taking the business and the inspiration that you have. And it is such a big and bold idea and it is so amazing. And you are onto something so special. What are you doing sort of to Rahaf's points around not looking outside? You know, has there anything over the past couple of days since this has happened that you're trying to do to like fortify?
1: Yeah. And I, and I think it's, you know, in in the context of when we recorded this podcast, it was 10 days that I don't think actually when you think about it it is that long. Uh, It was almost like a quick recovery because I'm pretty generally an open person. Like I reach out to friends um, and I think I'm lucky like that. I have very, very amazing friends who happen to, whether they're entrepreneurs or not, like they care about me. I think that's one. And then obviously having friends who are entrepreneurs you can relate. And that doesn't need for your audience to know. It doesn't just need to be like, well, my company's not backed by a VC or anything. An entrepreneur is an entrepreneur at the end of the day. You have the same, same highs and lows. You know, I talk to my sisters. I talk to my mother. My mother is a big component of this. My ex-wife, Angela, who's you know, one of my best friends, I go to her. And honestly, even, you know, my main investor, who's also a good friend of mine from the get-go, came in and I was like, I just was honest with him. First of all, he was the one who was like, hey man, we got to pivot the idea a bit. It's not really working. He was just su- super honest with me. And I said, hey, I'm just going to like, this feels pretty shitty right now. Like, does everyone go through this? Because like, I don't, and I just had to be, be honest. I was like, all your founders go through this. He's like, we're the first check in every company. Every single one of our companies have pivoted. This is absolutely normal. Like, don't feel like this happens to everyone. But this is
2: the thing. How many blog posts have there been about failure? How many things have you seen on Instagram? But why do you still think you're the only fucking one? But it's after the fact. They do it much after after the fact. And this is where I, that's actually a good point. I was thinking about this. It's always postmortem. It's always, oh, this was my failure, but now I'm worth a hundred million dollars. It's so funny. I um. I caught myself. Uh, this was a while ago, but I caught myself even putting on the act for Danny, my husband. Wow! Literally, the man who like I share everything That's with. That's so and,
3: interesting. And I
2: even caught myself like selling him.
3: Did and, he catch you? Um, <laughs> he
2: listen. He like gave me the space to like tell him what I wanted to tell him. He's aware. He hears the phone calls. He sees the fourteen-hour days. He knows when I'm stressed, when I'm not, and. At some point, I can't tell you when it was, but I flipped. What was interesting is the moment that I like, read him in to the situation, he started stepping up in ways to support me. And not like making me feel good, but in ways of like, when I'm like, hey, everything's going great, we're fucking crushing it. He's like, cool. So like you have the emotional and time bandwidth to deal with 50% of life stuff. But when I say to him, hey, I'm drowning, he's like, I got this, I'll step in here let me do this cuz he has a much more predictable situation i was almost preventing him from being like an amazing partner husband. and a good yeah. husband i really think there's so
3: much shame that's such an interesting story and i bet there's tons of people who can relate to that with their spouses and partners that they want well, to like, like, like get this, fired and
2: never tell well, their wives
3: well because it's like you have this facade and the second you let a crack show you feel like it's all going to crumble but what you learned in that was by admitting he gave you the space to kind of spin your story and then by admitting what was really going on he was able to step forward and give you the support you needed and that's what a partnership should be whether it's business a part, or a part home. of
0: this stems from the idea not to therapize anybody therapize. go can, for it we love honey, you've been to be doing therap- this to me for a decade we love to be therapized on some level subconsciously You felt like your success as a founder was conditional to his love. Mm -hmm. Because think about it because you discovered that that wasn't true through his actions, but some part of you feels like if I'm not successful, if the business doesn't do well, if I don't do this, if I don't do that, then we're not going to be lovable. Unraveling the stories we tell each other about and we tell ourselves about work and about self-worth has been such a fascinating part of my job. But I'll, I'll ask you the questions that I always ask my clients when I work with them, which is, Okay, Kane. like, you and I, you're one of my best friends, right? And you know I write books, right? If tomorrow the book that I wrote that I spent all this time on completely tanks, would you love me any less as a friend? No. And we know this, obviously. No. We know this. Just like if Danny came home and if Danny said, hey, I tried to do this big thing and I failed, you're not going to love him any less. No yet something inside of us, and I know what it is. It's childhood wounds and conditioning. It's all these things that are hidden. It's like if you are a phone, if you are a device, and if your adulting are like apps, you have an OS that's like running in the background, and so many people don't open the code and look at the OS, and that OS is programmed with things from when you're very little that says certain things like, if I don't perform, I'm not worthy of love. If I'm not successful, I'm not worthy of love. If I don't have these outwardly measures of validation, then that lo- the love that I'm dependent on is conditional upon me meeting them, that I'm not worthy of love.
1: I think it's one of those things that one of the things you could also do is we always celebrate the many successes, but it's also like acknowledging that like failure doesn't have to be zero. Like I think it's one of those things when you openly admit something's going wrong. You're like failure is associated with zero. I'm going to zero and it's over. Everyone thinks I'm a failure because failure is like, I'm a failure. End of story. Mm. That's it.
0: Andrew Huberman at the Huberman Labs, he actually says that his scientific data is that you should be failing 15 to 20% of the time, around 15%. The idea is that if you're not failing enough, then you're not pushing yourself, you're not growing. And if you're failing at like more than 15% on the regular, then you are overstretching and totally. you're not that, actually that mapping That totally your makes competency. sense though, doesn't yeah.
3: it? It's like you have to push yourself outside the comfort uh, zone so. and, ex- and experiment a little bit and experience. And you pull back,
0: you pull
1: back, you know, and granted, like to conclude on that 10 days, it was just, we fast forwarded it and we sat down, I sat down with, you know, some very good friends of mine who are also investors. It made me basically fast forward on like the bigger vision and I'm now more excited about it. And it's true. Like without that whole thing happening, I wouldn't have pushed myself to do so. And I think that's right. Like the 15% thing makes sense. You have to push yourself enough where like things are happening, but then you need to kind of come back. And I think getting used to that on a mental health level. Like just knowing that it's like when you do that, it's not the end of the world. Like the
3: metric of excitement is also a good metric, right? What lights you up, motivates you, keeps you focused, like gets you to that, (laughs) gets you through that next week. Well, we could obviously talk about this for days I guess we're gonna bless the mess for all (laughs) entrepreneurs yeah oh yeah this this is
2: a global blessing yeah this is
3: the global. at the end of every episode we bless the mess and just say like it's okay we've like gotten it out in the open and now the healing can begin so we bless all the messes out there for all the entrepreneurs I respect
1: you all so much when this podcast is successful we're gonna go and buy that restaurant
3: in Woodstock so that you can go back (laughs) and
1: you have to in order to leave. You have to throw
3: your table <laughs> over. That's a
2: genius fucking idea. And then
1: we'll record a podcast.
3: <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Huff. Thanks,
2: guys. Thank
1: you, guys, for having me.
3: Thanks, Mesh. Messy Situations is a production of Lola Media and is produced and engineered by Riley McCaskill with assistant producer Mesh Lacani.